You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 33 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Wednesday, the 27th of July, 2016. My name is Harry Knight and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. Asher King. 33 episodes in. Woo. Yeah. Is that and a milestone? 33? Yeah, everyone knows that the double can we, three. Can we save the conversation I've finished the introduction? Uh, yeah, hi guys, I'm here too. <laughs> and Will Forster. <laughs> Hello. 33 episodes in. I don't think that's a milestone, is it? Why did you say 33? I'm just impressed that we've made it 33 episodes in. What's that in bingo? Two fat ladies? <laughs> you know, it's like legs 11, two fat ladies, 22. That's two fat ladies. Is it? I thought 88 was too I'm looking ladies. at Will because yeah, you're I from the north of England and no I feel idea. like you should I know may, about bingo. I did not frequent Mecca bingo. <laughs> you guys could be speaking a different language right now. <laughs> two Fat Ladies is 88. Oh, Two Fat Ladies is 88. That's right. Um, yeah, what have you guys been up to? Anything, uh, anything exciting? I have not been up to a lot. I've been That's, that I know is not true because you've been sat in the office writing away articles for, for the Surf Simply magazine. I did do that. You do um, spend quite a bit of time in the office these days. Yeah, good AC. Yeah, good yeah. AC, yeah. fast internet. <laughs> I've been really impressed with your writing, actually. I was reading your article on South to Cyan last night, and um, it was yeah, it was awesome. More to come on that later. In fact, I've got it right here in front of me on my iPad. Oh, there it is. Ooh. Yeah, it's the last opened tab. Yeah. Have you been up to much, Ru? I have been being a pseudo-parent, Yeah. and I've now got a hot... Any listeners out there who are parents, I just have a huge amount more respect for you than I did the last time you listened to a Surf Simply podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, and regular listeners to the show will know that I have two little nieces that come and stay from time to time and I take them out surfing. But this time they came without their parents. So it was just me and a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old. Uh, and I'm not a parent. So this was my first experience being a parent. And uh, For wow. two whole weeks? Yeah, two weeks. I, I made the mistake of going in like a way too high a gear right off the bat. Now... My girlfriend was helping you out a little bit with some of the, you know, going down to the beach and swimming. And, and I was informed that there was an Excel spreadsheet timetable. <laughs> yeah, involved. that was a bit naive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, week, I, I approached it with like surf simply military-like organizational, right? So when they arrived, I had in the inside of the bedroom an Excel spreadsheet with the two weeks and the times that we were surfing and everything on. Anyway, that went out the window. <laughs> they passed. <laughs> but de- yeah, I, I felt bad actually because the, the end of day one I kind of like lost it a little bit you know they'd got in the car covered like in all their wet stuff for about the third time in a row oh and you there don't like food, wet stuff in your car don't like wet stuff and there's food all over the car and there was just like and I, yeah I kind of lost it a bit and they which they thought was hilarious and just didn't take me seriously <laughs> at all but then we kind of changed pace a little bit and what was cool well the first week we had a lot of high tides in the morning and the evening and really small surf so the seven-year-old I took out for the first time, uh, I took her out the back. She hadn't been out the back before. And, you know, I'd catch waves with her on the front of the 10-2, and then I'd pick her up, and we'd kind of surf down the line, and I'd hold her. So she didn't really need to do anything. But I just got her to the stage where she can jump off the board and swim under a wave. So that means mm-hmm. you can paddle out. And the other one, the older one, who's now 11, she was seven when I first took her out too. So I, I think kind of like seven, eight is kind of quite a good age to first take kids out the back if they're really good at swimming. Mm-hmm. The older one, who's 11, really just loved body surfing and swimming. And during the second week, we had some really, really big, like solid double overhead, low tide surf a couple of days at Guiana's where there was only like two people at the back. Mm-hmm. And she was super keen to swim out. 
but she can't swim down through the foam in the impact zone after a big bomb's just exploded quite fast enough in the gap in between waves. So what she had me doing was holding her by the waist, and she's like, what, 70 pounds or something, she's like tiny. I'd, she, she got me to hold her by the waist, and then I would kick down to the bottom, pin her to the bottom wh- <laughs> while the wave broke, and then she would look at me, like, give me the thumbs up, kind of like BB-8 in that scene in Star Trek, you know, just the, the, the thing comes out, the thumb comes up, and then we would swim back up to the top, and, I, and it was big, and I was really, I mean, I knew she'd be fine, but I was really like... I, if this was me and I was 11, I would be like really freaking out in this surf. She's a bit of a charger. Yeah, and she was like, sort of looked a bit like glazed eyed. And I was kind of like, um, you know, you all right? I said, everything okay? And she looked at me and she's like, Uncle Roo, Uncle Roo, do you get a lot of people from Indonesia and Australia visiting the resort? I was like, what? And she was like, well, I was just thinking about whether you have a, a big diversity in your clientele. And I was like, what? Oh, here's the next one. Okay, go under. We'd like swim under again. <laughs> So anyway, really, really amazing. I was, I, I was uh, super impressed by them and super impressed with all parents on the internet as well. I did see you and uh, Isis out there one day and you could have left and you're holding her by the waist and you're surfing down the line. And all of a sudden it closed out in front and you basically just hit the eject button and threw her the wave. Well, they kind of like doing that. And it's funny because they like being thrown really high off the back of the wave. You know, that, that bit when you're surfing and you'd usually like jump. I just sort of would put the momentum into them and throw, and me and the board would then go over the falls. And uh, they like, they scream when they're going up in the air. And then as I was paddling back out, I could see people looking at me in the lineup like, what are you doing to those (laughs) poor children? (laughs) Very good. So yeah, Asher, have you been up to anything? Pretty much the usual, pretty much just surfing a lot and uh, day-to-day work at Surf Simply. Been uh, finalizing the details on our Indonesia trip this year. Mm. We've got our new boards for the Indo trip. Ooh, we do have our new boards for the Indo trip. We yeah. have some very pretty rusties. Yeah, we had a very good surf. We went down the big swell that Rui was just talking about. We went to a surf break that's south of here, and it faced a little more directly into the swell. So there was some, there was some good pretty overhead sets. Waves. It was, yeah. it was a nice, that was massive down there. Yeah, it was good fun. It was, um, I, I was enjoying riding a big 6.6, six, although it was quite funny. It was, I, I haven't ridden a big, long, pintailed board for quite a long time, and it definitely took me a few waves to... I'll post a video, listeners, and you can see me tentatively wobbling my way along some waves on the big 6.6 six, six pintail. That's very modest of you. I've seen the video. It looks pretty good. And I think your style of surfing particularly really suits pintails that are really drivey because mm-hmm. you've got you know and i mean this in a nice a way Harry. you've got a lot of weight <laughs> to put into your turns a lot of power a lot of power yeah i will Definitely say a pancho sullivan than a rob machado anyone uh from rusty out there we did order some boards and the colors came back a little bit uh alternate to what we ordered yeah yes. your black rails that you ordered look very red asha how quick did you desperately need to ride that board when it arrived Oh, I had to ride it pretty soon. Yeah, I um the first morning I rode it, it was a pretty big day out at Guiones and Guiones it, it it's pretty mushy when it's big, but there's a lot of rips and a lot of water moving. So I was like, Oh, I'm just gonna go ride the six four down there. But uh I was a little too uh too excited about it and forgot to put a leash string in it and I just skipped putting a traction pad on. So I'm down at the beach at Guiones paddling out like double overhead so what did you have the leash attached to i just didn't use a leash i just did you put wax on it yeah i, I managed fins? to get a little bit of wax and uh three fins but yeah i just had a session at double you overhead guiones just riding a big pintail with no leash i felt like that's like very south, that's very south to cyan yeah I, I i managed to not lose my board that morning but i think i'm gonna have a leash on it from now on 
So before we get to the news, one of our listeners, Robert Nederhust, uh, who's also a former guest at Surf Simply, has spent the last year or so, he's been developing uh, an app for iPhone and it will do a lot of the stuff that the Trace can do. So there's a, a real basic version that just of, of the app that just kind of tracks your wave count and things like that. There's a, a slightly more advanced one that can, can pull some slightly better metrics. And he said that if anyone wants to email him and say that they heard about the app through the Surf Simply podcast, he will uh, upgrade them for free. Uh, so you can email rob at surftrackapp.com and I'll put those details in the show notes as well. I'm still, I, I really like uh, Rob a lot. I think he's a really great guy and I love what he's done with the app. I, I still personally don't want to take my iPhone when I go surfing. I don't want to clip it to my board, even though it's in a waterproof case. Well, I think what he's been doing is, is putting it mm-hmm. under his wetsuit when he goes surfing, which is what I did when I was testing it in the UK. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more complicated when I tried to test it out here because most of my board shorts didn't have a pocket that was quite big enough to fit the phone in. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a bit of an advantage in having the device attached to the surfboard because you can start to pick up things like roll angle and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so going going into the news, uh, there was a little update from Owen Wright. He's pulled out of the remainder of the year on the WSL, but um, he has said that he's back surfing a shortboard again. It's amazing. Did you guys read what he wrote on Instagram? Yeah. It was really moving, actually. I mean, that when he talks about going back out on a um, on a phone board and taking off on you know, sort of waist-high waves and the drop feeling like 10-foot chopu and he couldn't get to his feet. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just, you know, it's really extraordinary how much of what we are, we, we think of as being a characteristic of ourselves and is actually just uh, an emergent property of the meat in our head working properly. Mm-hmm. And when something like that happens and a bit of it breaks and suddenly you just can't move your arm or can't speak, you know, it's it's it really reminds us how fragile we are. What's interesting about this case is that surfing is such a complex set of skills and I'd be really interested to know what is it about Owen's brain injury that has prevented him from being able to surf? I mean, is it sort of his ability to coordinate his body? Is it his depth perception? And he, you know, he said that small wave felt like a really big wave. Is that he's, is it that he's not able to, you know, fathom how big a wave is as it comes towards him? Is it that the muscle memory's gone and it's just simply a, a memory thing and he doesn't any longer mm-hmm. have the ability to stand because he's essentially, uh, essentially forgotten how to do it? I'd really love to speak to the, the doctor who's working with him and, and find out some of that stuff. Just, I think it's really interesting from a neurological point of view. It's interesting, isn't it? I know that normally when people suffer concussions and amnesia, motor skills and things like that are normally fairly safe. Uh, and it, it, it's stuff that's sort of more learnt explicit learning that tends to get lost so you might forget which tide a certain break is is good on but you would probably still remember how to paddle in and get to your feet right right so i mean usually when it's when when degradation to any memory part of your brain happens it's usually the stuff that as you say has been learned more recently and explicitly and mm-hmm. the stuff that was learned much longer ago and implicitly tends to be in yeah. there but i would assume that some of these skills that you know professional surfers have a really have been learned at a very young age and are very implicit yeah it's really interesting but i can't find anywhere online any more information about it uh, and, and about his case specifically yeah it's been kind of shrouded in mystery yeah i mean the it's just case I, unfortunately i think with a lot of the stuff in the surf industry it tends to be so general the uh, uh the kind of the commentary and stuff mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really pull apart the details and pull at the threads of things and i mean it may be that owen you know just wants to keep a lot of this stuff private 
Yeah, but I think that might be a bit of the case. Is yeah. Sonny, did you guys hear the interview that Tyler Wright gave to uh, ABC News in uh, Australia? Yeah, yeah, I heard excerpts um, from it. Really good. I, I, I thought it was an interesting interview, and she was mostly talking about her world title run and her her training. But she did kind of mention Owen's in, you know injury, but she definitely kind of she didn't go into anything like the detail on that. Mm-hmm. and kind of redirected the interview again. She kept saying in the interview how things had happened or stuff happened or because of certain events or yeah. certain places I've been. And I kept wanting to go, where? What? You yeah. know, and, and kind of get a little bit more out of her. I thought she came across very well in the interview, though. And yeah. actually, skipping forward a little bit, I guess we'll talk about it into what in the What to Watch. But that video came out recently. Oh, I was just about to say. Uh, is it called Ladies of the Sea? It's just like a yeah. little short by Rip Curl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's her surfing some huge, big barreling. Just big old barreling, right? I think yeah. It's, is it, I think it's Puerto Escondido, isn't it? Is I it? I don't know. I think it it's looks Porto. kind of, yeah, like Mexican a, water, uh, a little bit brown. There's a clip in it where her brother Mikey's paddling over the shoulder, and you can see, see him just screaming at her as she's paddling in. It's like, oh, come on, go. Yeah, I like, lo- oh, it's super cool. I love the way she says in that interview that um, her brothers just don't believe that they can do anything that she can't do. Yeah. So they just talk to her as if she can do it. And why wouldn't she? Yeah. I was trying to talk to Jessie like that. Yeah. But she's just like, no, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Um, Anything else got anyone's eyes in the news? The Padang Padang contest sounds like it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I, I really wish that the Padang Padang contest would be on part of the part of the standard tour wankaramas yeah you could I, just whole... w- I just wish there was an indo stop yeah the, or at least just a barley stop yeah i mean we've talked about it on the show before but padang padang is such a such a photogenic wave and the setup there it's is pretty great. iconic it's like a surf stadium huh i still have a massive slash going all the way up the middle of my foot from padang padang all the way across there Ooh. yeah well i think the padang padang is just a, a specialty event it's not even part of the qs Really? Yeah. No, no, no. It's a, it's a really limited list. So there's they have they, the, they have the Rip Curl Cup. That's been an annual thing for years, though, hasn't it? Yeah, but that it's not a QS event this year, and so it's it, it it's a really cool. There's a list of international surfers are going to take on a list of Indonesian surfers who I'm uh, afraid to say I don't recognise too many of. Um, I, 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 some of the names I know, um, Megas surfing, Rizal's surfing, Lee Wilson rips. I did but, see that Oni Anwar is going to be in the trials. Yeah. Good luck, Oni, if you listen to the podcast. Um, but the, the list of international surfers is Tom Curran, Mason Ho, Damien Hobgood, Bruce Irons, Jamie O'Brien, uh, Chris Ward. Mace, oh, well, it's presumably not Chris Ward because he's in jail, but yeah. uh, <laughs> Clay Marza. Yeah. What happened to Chris Ward? Why on earth is he in jail? Uh, he beat his you wife haven't up. seen the Instagram of uh, Wardo's wife? No. Oh, uh, my God. This is a couple of months ago, but he's doing, uh, he's doing two months inside or something. Super brutal picture. Well, that's just blown me away. I didn't. I didn't even hear about that. Yeah, really hairy situation. I think she posted uh, like a photo from his Instagram account of her pretty battered and bruised. And what? Well, so he he beat her up, and then he took a photo of her beating no, up she, and posted no, it. She took the photo, posted it on his Instagram account, and then she took it down and like retracted it. But then you know it was already out on the internet, and it, it was just kind. Of, it was a really messy situation. Wow. Well, I guess he's not competing in Padang then. No, uh, but the so the the world to, the WSL have made this a specialty event, so they will be broadcasting it. It starts uh, the waiting period starts August first. Imagine how difficult uh, scoring like a current Mason Ho heat would be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need a, we need the parameters first before we can. Well, yeah, or, or Curran yeah. versus Clay Marza. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh yeah, Clay Marzo is going to be in it as well. Oh, that's amazing. That it's was the a good sort, choice. It's the sort of event where I could see Clay Marzo doing well because you know you always see. Or, I haven't seen it for ages, but you always used to see that footage of him surfing that left in uh, Maui. Yeah. And uh, you know he, that's really his thing, isn't it? Like left hand tubes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that should be a great. Uh, that should be a really good event to to put on in the background. Um, the other bit of news which uh, I've been being kept very much in the loop by uh, one of our former guests, Greg Mora, the Enland Surf Park, which is the the new wave garden project that's being built in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And they are having some problems with the local council who seem to not really know how to classify. They're trying to classify it as a, as a chlorinated pool, weren't they? Yeah. I think the local council are called the city in America. I think they're only called the council in like England and Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Do well, they meet at the... Parish Church. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. They have tea and biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> so am I getting this right? Basically, they've built this totally man-made body of water mm-hmm. and to put a wave garden in it, mm-hmm. same technology as they have in Wales. Yeah. And it's actually bigger than the one in Wales. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, it's Texas, obviously. Yeah. Everything's uh, bigger in Texas. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the city have said that it has to meet the same standards of, um, well, the, all the same regulations that a swimming pool would meet Mm -hmm. so it has to have certain level of chlorination and it has to have various other facilities like changing facilities and toilets within a certain distance Mm -hmm. from the edge of the body Mm -hmm. of water and these uh, regulations are just totally impractical and unsustainable given the size of the body of water yeah Yeah. i think it's something like seven football fields so huge so the the enland surf park have released a, a long public statement a sort of i guess an open letter to the city And uh, what they've said over and over again in it is that they're being treated unfairly and the same regulations are not being applied to comparable businesses. Yeah, which is sort of wakeboarding parks and things like that. Right. So the two things that I can't seem to figure out from everything I've read online Mm -hmm. is, is, well, number one, you kind of answered, which is what are those comparable businesses? Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, what is the city's motivation for holding them back because it seems to me like they won't even enter into a dialogue that the main complaint from enland seems to be that the the city won't even have a conversation with them they just are, are sort of suing them mm-hmm. and that's it yeah so I, you know that it seems that there must be something going on behind the scenes where someone has got um a stake in this not going ahead uh, whether it's the city or whether it's someone who's got you know influence on on city policy i'm I just I, I just it's not it's really not clear what's going on because so it seems the, like the city's position is so unreasonable so i right. have an email from them bridget shear who's travis county commissioner uh, according to a representative of enland some of the water used in the project will be collected from an area that includes highway 71 and the surrounding agricultural land I am concerned that the water used by swimmers in the en- in the surf park could possibly contain pollutants from the roadway and neighbouring cattle yards such as lead, petroleum and other chemicals. To be good stewards to our resources and to protect our citizens who use the park, we need to obtain answers from Enland Surf Park about these concerns and resolve the matter accordingly. Now, my understanding is that Enland have fairly heavy water filtration system. And they cl- and Enland claim that they've done all of the studies and that they want to show them to Travis County, but mm. they won't look at them. So who knows? Maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Maybe it's uh, all the uh, dihydrogen monoxide, Harry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Was that an inside chemistry joke? Yes. It's two <laughs> one. hydrogens, one oxygen, which would H2O. be H two O. H two O. And ah, there's yes. a whole load of really funny Sorry, memes saying like. <laughs> Uh, President Obama has banned the use of dihydrogen monoxide for torture. 
how do we still give it to our school children? <laughs> um, but, but then what followed was some really funny ones where they were writing on the Facebook walls of companies that produce drinks uh-huh. and saying, do you put dihydrogen monoxide in your drinks? I'm very concerned about this. And a lot of the big companies like Coca-Cola and stuff like that sort of replied back saying, well, that's actually just the scientific name for water. So yeah, we, you know, we, we, do put we use quite a drink. lot of that in there. And then there were a whole load of like health food companies that were saying, no, we use no chemicals in our drinks whatsoever. <laughs> and then there's this really like, oh, good. I'm very glad to hear that. <laughs> That's so funny. That's, so have you guys heard of the food babe? Yes. I uh, think we've discussed her on this show before. Yeah. So she, she made one just the, like a moron of impressive proportions. And she said, you shouldn't eat anything that you can't pronounce. That's her, that's her health that's guidelines a mantra. for food. That is a really great way of exposing a lot of the fraudulent, total bullshit that's rife with the kind of the, the whole foods culture, you know, like the organic or natural kind of uh, superfoods type culture that's kind of mm-hmm. seems to be on the rise at the moment, which about 90% of which is just total nonsense. So anyway, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the Enland Surf Park. I mean, I was quite excited about the idea of that opening. It's It's close to us um it'd be a you know austin would be a cool place for us to go and do some coaching austin's a super great city have a place so we'll be keeping an eye on that and thank you very much to greg who's who sort of kept me in the loop and and forwarded me some emails from uh persons on the inside so asher as you're organizing the satellite project to indo could you see yourself one day organizing a surf simply satellite trip to enland Assuming that the water, quali- the water quality is... is uh... Well, if we can get this water quality under control. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be amazing. I think uh, an inland surf trip would be something... Yeah, it'd be, it'd be have a set of coaching benefits. A wave pool would obviously be a pretty stable platform. And Austin, Texas would be a pretty cool place to visit. But I don't know. I, I think this technology is pretty much outdated already. You know, let's say they build the that style of wave park. Kelly Slater's wave company is, you know nipping on its heels and they have a way better product yeah I, I i agree with you i mean right now building wave garden wave parks is a little bit like investing in dvds yeah, i was about to say <laughs> it's like they're really battling to open a blockbuster vhs rental store <laughs> yeah. right uh well the big news was the J-Bay Open took yeah. place uh, two weeks ago now. Some really good waves. Mick Fanning beat John John in the final. Uh, John John's now moved up into second place on the tour. In a uh, very competitive second place. Well, yeah, because Matt Wilkinson, unfortunately, dropped out pretty early in round three, so he didn't pick up a ton of points. Uh, it was looking like Matt Wilkinson was going to run away with it for a while, but... Uh, I love J-Bay. J-Bay might be my favorite contest on tour it's such a big open canvas and you really get to see all the intricacies of people surfing and you get to see what people are missing as well i love j bay when it's good there were quite a few hits i really like that john john geordie quarterfinal that was a bit of an exception that was that was a terrible terrible waves but and i don't know when j bay when it's below you know even the set waves on a lot of those heats were below head high I think the finals day, though, was basically, it, it was subhead high, and it was really fast running down the point, like right on the bricks, but it was basically a better version of Snapper Rocks. It was like a better yeah, version yeah, there of is that, that I suppose, that's true. And better than Bell's, it was like really good winky Oh, I'm not saying it's a bad wave, I'm just saying, like, the, I'm thinking contests in the past, where, yeah. where it's been, you know, head and a half, double overhead on the sets, and yeah. just, oh. 
That looks amazing. What was that film, just the short that came out about J-Bay? Griffin, I can't pronounce it. Ah, Colapinto. Yeah, Griffin Colapinto uh, doing free surfing, I think, around Ooh. the contest period, but not actually for the contest. They That's, got smoking waves right before the contest. That was so, that was just such a good movie. Yeah. Uh, made, that made me want to go and surf J-Bay more than any yeah, you saw film I mean, of J-Bay When, when J-Bay is that size. Yeah, well, I was thinking it was bigger, wasn't oh. it? And it was, and it was all about doing big, powerful carving rail turns mm-hmm. and like, you know, just teasing how far, how deep you can get, how back in the white water you can get. And you know, when you see people surf J-Bay and then they come out of every bottom turn, disappearing behind the foam and then just reappearing right back up in the critical part of the wave 10 feet above their head and then disappearing back in the foam again yeah. you know and every time as well he's doing these different kind of turns i don't know i, I think j bay is one of those waves that it looks so much fun and i want to surf it so bad but i bet when i actually surf j bay i bet i would look like a bonehead on that wave. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely want to ride a surf it on my forehand yeah, yeah that'd be a really hard wave to surf back in I'm, speaking of which, I mean, Matt Arnie used to live out there. He said it's 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 not it's not a difficult wave to surf. It's just a difficult wave to surf well. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of backhanders at J Bay, yeah, it's a real shame Matt Wilkinson didn't do well because I was really expecting him to mm-hmm. to do well because his backhand is you know insane. He's almost like the modern Oki. Yeah, well, yeah, and he's done well at J Bay the last few years. Yeah, I felt like that was this was the one I I thought he was going to solidify his lead. So Small J Bay is a pretty tough looking wave to surf on your backhand. It's a, it's just such a tight transition of a wave that you don't really have much opportunity to have variation in your turns, if that makes sense. It's like you don't there on backside there's not a, you know, a, a ton of different ways you can approach that lip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's I think that when with your backhand surfing in a point break you can either do what Medina does really well, mm-hmm. which is somehow create variety in the different ways that he can hit the lip on his backhand. Um, or you can do what Oki and Matt Wilkinson do well, which is just have such exquisite timing mm-hmm. that, it's, that it doesn't matter that you're doing a similar type of turn because the timing is just so good that you're creating a huge amount of speed and power. And I mean, just for listeners, if you wonder what we're talking about there, and it may be something that you've heard commentators talk about before, when you're hitting the lip on your forehand, you're obviously rotating your body back so you're looking back over your shoulder down at the wave. And that just means that there's four or five major different ways that you can use your upper body to talk the board round as you hit the lip. Uh, throwing your arms back, throwing them across your body, throwing them back later and, and one arm and then the other arm or both arms mm-hmm. together. When you're on your backhand, as you go up to the lip, you turn your body and you're already facing down the wave with your whole upper body. So it's actually, a, it's easier to hit the lip on your backhand mm-hmm. well than it is on your forehand, but you can't do that same different variety of upper yeah. body movements. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's more, it is more difficult, except for people like Medina who managed to somehow like do these little tweaks so it looks a little, yeah, different he, each time. Medina, he got, he got nipped in the quarterfinals though. He had basically a wave like you just described where he just slugged the lip like, 10 times in a row, but it was a really small wave and he got, got that just, eight, I think. Yeah, he just got under the score needed. Yeah. It was a really small wave, but I don't know. So would you guys have preferred to see John John take down Mick in the final? Oh, I, I think it was a good final. It was Mick Fanning, John John final, who were definitely the form surfers of the event. And Mick kind of stuck to a little bit more of the power rail surfing. He really used a lot of speed. He's riding that really interesting-looking channel bottom board. and uh, John John's still a lot of rail game, but he had a bit more of a progressive approach. He was 
really using that last in section and and, and Fanning just kind of edged him out and it was a great heat and that's kind of what I wanted to see. I didn't see it live but it's always hard to get a sense of it when you're watching the highlights afterwards but mm -hmm. it seemed like Mick had that one wave that was just a better was wave a, than yeah, all the other ones that nine, came nine. through. Yeah. And I, I always feel like bad for the guy that loses when he lost because he surfed well but the other guy just got a wave that was better than anything else that came through. Yeah. It would have been kind of cool to see John John win that um, but it's cool that he's second in the world now and we've got an interesting battle. We've got an interesting run, you know, and he's in world title contention. And it's also really cool that Mick is now definitely back next year yeah. and can have a bit of downtime. Assu I mean, assuming he wants to, yeah. And we got a pretty interesting string of events coming up. We got Chopu, mm -hmm. which Mendina and John John surf amazing. Lowers, Mendina and John John surf amazing. France, France they've both won. Portugal, uh, there's, a, there's a good... Uh, and then, of course, at Pipe. Yeah. So with John John's not too shabby at Pipe, is he? No, no, right. he's not too bad. So, yeah, rolling out of J-Bay in the fantasy. Uh, we actually had a tie for the win between Tags, and I, I apologize for this. My, my German is not good. Anyone speak German? Nine. Nine? Krugens Barrier? Not sure. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they tied for the win, and Glenny's Grom's team has taken over the lead from a sub. The next event for the men's is Tahiti on August 19th. Uh, the next event for the women is actually running as we speak. It's the US Open, uh, which is a 10,000 event on the QS for the men, and it's a world tour event for the women, and both of those things should not happen. That is a travesty. It's a travesty because it is one of the most unexciting contests of the year in terms of wave quality. Yeah, it's just, I mean... Yeah. Are you guys going to watch it? Uh, Asher keeps putting it on in the office, so I'm vaguely aware of what's going on, but I look up and see someone... I have it pulled up in the background right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a joke. What, yes, in yesterday's uh, round two heats, just watching them having to pump to just uh, like get a bit of inside section... Yeah, and those waves was just—it's the ugliest thing to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's terrible. Yeah, it's—it's it's the um, only—it's—it's a, it's a world tour event, or you know, it's a ten. There's only what six ten thousand events on the QS, so this is one of the events that's going to decide who's on the world tour next year, and people are having to do the Huntington Hop. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. So South to Scion has been released. The follow-up to I had too much to dream last night, the Deus film. Great film. Um, we all got together in this very living room and uh, recording studio. recording studio. Sorry, recording <laughs> studio. Yeah. Um, so we all got together at, at Rue's house and uh, watched the film as a group. Um, we have a uh, an article going out in the magazine at some point uh, reviewing the film. If anyone wants to read that. Do you know what? You know when you suggested that we all get together and, and watch the watch the movie on the big screen as a group. It's kind of cool because you know back in the back in the olden days when they always used to have surf movies come out in the cinemas and everyone yeah. go to the cinema to watch That's it. Amazing. That was a really cool thing, and you know it's kind of been lost in the world of the internet. So I really like it. We got together to watch View from a Blue Moon and to watch this one when it came out. It's yeah. just really cool when you watch it all together. So to anyone who hasn't uh, seen the trailer of the film, it's all in Indonesia. They travel from the southeast to the northwest following that, the Indian Ocean coast. It's from mm -hmm. uh, West Nusa Tenggara to North Sumatra. They say it's about 4,000 kilometers in, in total. Um, but I think Asher and I kind of worked out that they did it in stages rather than uh, as one long trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a great film. It's Harrison Roach and Zai Norris, the two Noosa longboarders or loggers, you might describe them as. But they, um, they had 20 different surfboards from 4 foot 11 to 10 foot. 
Uh, that photo of them with all of the boards stacked up in front yeah. is so cool. Such yeah. a cool photo. Very cool. Yeah. I'm very jealous of those guys' quiver. Yeah. They have a good selection of surfboards. Yeah. And they had a couple of finless boards as well, which they rode. And it was very cool footage. Uh, actually, that, that section of them riding the finless boards, I think, was at pit stops. Oh, was quite it? near the end, which is where we're going for the satellite yep. trip. That's where um, we're going to be going in uh, about five weeks' time. It's actually funny you say that. When I, after watching that section, I really wanted to throw Harry's finless board in the bag. But I already have a lot of airline charges mounting up <laughs> for stuff to go over. So I don't think it's going to make the cut. Um, so what I thought was interesting about the film, um, because Deus are a motorcycle company and a surf company, is that they had certain segments of the film uh, where they're uh, tearing up volcanic tracks. Yeah, it looked very cool. Yeah, it? yeah. It was they. They basically took two Deus motorcycles with them. That I think they were Yamaha Bisons, if I remember rightly. Um, like tracker style, big knobbly tires. Um, super cool. Really cool looking. I'm not big into motorbikes. Not as much as you two are, who ride them as your just go-to form of transport. But I loved all of the footage of them riding those motorbikes around. I yeah. mean, it made me really want to get on a bike and go and get, get on a, a bike go. and yeah. rip around Nassara. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's funny when I first, when I watched, I've watched the movie twice. And when I was, when I first watched it, I thought, okay, this is kind of cool, but I'm not going to want to watch the motorbiking bit again. I'm just going to want to re-edit this. So I've just got the surfing bits and then that's what I'm going to want to have as my go-to movie. But actually watching the motorcycle bits again, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And they're not too long and they're so beautifully shot that yeah. even if you're not in any way into motorbikes, I don't, I, I think you're going to just love this film. Yeah. yeah. I thought that the film was beautiful and I think the thing that let it down was it was trying to be a road trip movie but they didn't tell enough of the story and what I mean by that is like I can watch Endless Summer 2 over and over again and it's there's not a lot of surfing in Endless Summer 2 but what there is is you get a feel for through slightly silly narration you know the whole thing was made up it was a series of individual trips in the same way that this you know, South to Cyan one is a little bit of a manufactured scenario, but the storytelling that goes on with the narration is so good, it draws you in and it makes you feel like you're a part of that traveling experience. And this didn't. It didn't make me feel like I was a part of it. It made me feel like I was outside of it. I actually agree with you uh, on that. And um, when I wrote the article, I did a little bit of research about the trip itself um, mm -hmm. from like interviews with Woody Gooch and a couple of other guys who, who helped sort of the production side of it. And they had uh, a really terrible time with the vehicle. They had a 1970s Land Rover, like a yeah, long wheelbase Defender as, as their truck. Um, and they kitted it out, built big racks for all the boards and the motorcycles. They named it Jane, so they obviously had some kind of uh, relationship with it. But it broke down all the time. And uh, we didn't see any of that in no. the, you know, that's kind of the interesting things uh, in films for me. You know, that's sort of the difficulties that come with. Because we, yeah. we all go on surf trips. Yeah. We all, you know, we, we face the problems. Bit. And yeah, that's it's kind of the bits that make it interesting. Yeah. afterwards you know they're the stories you tell and they it, said they couldn't they had to uh, roll start it for the last like two months or something of of the trip they could just the mechanic just couldn't get it fixed so they just because uh, they already had it in all the videos they had to you know for continuity because there were lots of shots of the land rover driving through beautiful scenery and i think it would have been fine like that would have been a great addition i think that when you're making a surf movie the most important thing is that the cinematography is visually beautiful I think that has to come first and then everything else can come around it. If you don't have that one element, then nothing yeah. else is there. And yeah. I think in this film, 
they just like I had too much to dream last night and like a lot of um, Dustin Humphrey's films I mean he's mm-hmm. just an incredibly talented photographer and cinematographer and it's just stunning yeah. I mean the the shots of the Land Rover the shots of them the moments that he's captured with the facial expressions even down to the the boards where they've got nice solid spray jobs on the boards and that even the clothes that they're wearing it's all obviously been thought about and it looks really visually stunning i mean you could play that whole movie with the sound off and it's just beautiful i don't think that um they could have brought in some of those real stories and i would have found that interesting um it would have moved it more into the movies that you watch once kind of category rather than to the movies that you might want to return to and over and over again I'd rather that they put it in that latter category which I think that they did really well Yeah. so I mean I was a really big fan of the movie um, but see I would say that, that if you look at uh, I Had Too Much to Dream last night that's exactly what they did they just made a movie that you could watch over and over again there's no story that backs it there's a load of sequences and they have some nice setup shots of them arriving at the break and then it's a load of surfing and then a couple of shots of them leaving the break and it's a couple of shots of them getting there with the motorbikes and then they're racing around the dirt track and then they're leaving and it's it's a movie that you can watch over and over again you could turn the sound off if you want to keep the sound on the south to scion tried to go down the route where it was storytelling where it was trying to have a plot to the movie and i my feeling was it was caught halfway between the two yeah, I, I do. It, it was caught a little bit in between a sort of philosophical kind of reflection and a road trip movie. Yeah, and and it was caught a little bit, but I I didn't really mind that. I, I feel like it's not really a criticism of this movie, but I think that they could go down either of those directions for their next movie, which I really hope they'll do. And they in, in either of those kind of following either of those narratives could be really good. So you know what movie it really reminded me of uh, was Shelter that I've watched probably 10,000 times. It was one of only three VHS videos I had when I was living in a caravan when I was a kid by the beach. (laughs) And even that opening shot of Shelter, you remember with the Land Rover? Long wheel bed Land Rover. Exactly, going down down the the beach. beach. And then they're riding the Bonza in Shelter a lot. And, you know, they're riding a lot of similar old style boards in this. And there's even even the way that they've produced it so that the lighting is kind of similar. And there's shots of people walking on the beach, holding boards and turning around and laughing and taking off on little wedgie right handers. There were so many scenes in, and, and, and the, move, the, the mood of the soundtrack. There were so many scenes in it that reminded me of Shelter, which I mean as like an absolute 100% compliment because it's one of my all time favorite movies. Oh, and funny. I feel like they, if you look at it as an update of Shelter, Suddenly, it's a really. Yeah. It suddenly it makes perfect sense. I liked that when they were doing the motorcycle shoots, they had uh, Aggie Agassi there. Like they added a little bit of professionalism. To, uh, so who's Aggie Agassi? So he is the th- he was the third. So it was uh, Harrison and Zai on motorcycles, and then for the motorcycle segments, Aggie Agassi. And he he's, he's the, the guy, guy doing the mass. Yeah, yeah. He's a professional rider. He's the guy doing the massive jumps over these like lava fields. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was very cool. Um, so, South to Scion, marks out of 10, guys. Harry, what do you think? Um, I'm going to give it a 7. Okay. I'm marking, I'm marking it down because I felt seven's it... good. Yeah, I would say seven's pretty good. Yeah, well, because as Rue said, you know, the visuals is the most important thing. Like, that's a film I'd put on in the background 100%. I'd watch it again just because visually it was beautiful. There was good surfing in it. And the soundtrack. And the soundtrack was good. But I'm marking it down just because... I felt it went too far into trying to tell a story to just be a surf movie and it didn't go far enough to be a road trip movie or a documentary. I'm going to give it 
8.7. No, I'm going to give it 9. I, I really, really liked it. And I do agree with you that it didn't, it wasn't quite a, a road trip movie and it wasn't quite a surf movie, but I loved that. I thought that was great. And partly because it reminded me of Shelter and also, you know, I loved the soundtrack, but I really loved that there was no airs in it. You know, it was all riding twin fins and logs and single fins and or, or, or just kind of the boards that you're kind of surfing them on rail. And um, and I really loved that because I can't do as and it made me watch it <laughs> and go, I could surf like that and be awesome. Um, so I'm going to give it, you can't give it a 10 because, of course, View from a Blue Moon is the only 10 out of 10 surf movie that's ever been made. So it can't be a 10, but I'm going to give it a 9. I am going to go against that. I'm going to give it a 10. And this is the reason. So their idea was clearly to inspire people in that movie, right? It was like, ah, oh, you want to get people, you want to evoke a serious emotion. And I was in Florida last week, and when it came out, I watched the movie with my dad. Who's, he grew up riding motorcycles, but for, you know, to kind of stop riding them, and he grew up uh, like surfing a lot, and I watched with him, and he wrote me a text yesterday that was like, oh, I can't stop thinking about that movie watch. I went and bought, bought a Yamaha 200. No way. <laughs> so my dad went out and bought a little, like, a, little, a little enduro motorbike because of how inspired he was from the movie, which... That's like the whole point of the film is to kind of in, in, inspire people. So um, I think there's stuff that it, it could have been added to the film, but kind of that little anecdote was pretty awesome for me. So I was pretty stoked about that. Yeah, that is very cool. I, I'm going to give it a 10. I really enjoyed the film. I thought the visuals were, were amazing. I love the fact that motorcycles were involved. Um, and like Asha says, it's, it's, it has totally inspired me to go to Indo. So mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah, definitely 10. 10. Okay, so some listener emails before we move on. Uh, we got a very interesting, quite long email from Ryan Shaw. I won't read out the whole thing because it is very long, but maybe we, we could uh, put, the, put some of it up in the show notes for people to read. Um, I was actually thinking about putting it up as an article in, on Surf Simply magazine because it is really interesting. He, he basically writes about um, speculating about the positive, negative, possible negative impacts of uh, wave pools. Mm -hmm. And he makes a couple of points, which I think are really interesting, and I'm going to disagree with just because it's, I think they're good talking points and they're interesting, mm -hmm. rather than because I think he's necessarily wrong. He, he, make, he's, he makes two points, really. One is he talks about chess and about how when, what was the first computer that won a game of chess? Uh, was it Deep Thought? Isn't Deep Thought the one from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Deep Blue. Yeah, right. Deep Blue. Deep Blue. That's it. Um, and he talked about how once the computer had beaten, I think it was Kasparov that it beat at chess, then culturally chess became less popular. And he's speculating that that's because some of the, uh, what was perceived of, as the creative aspects of chess had been taken away, it had been demystified. Mm -hmm. And it was no longer this intangible, creative, tactical, human-only element. It became mm -hmm. just a series of crunching statistics and... Uh, outcomes and that's kind of all it was and it kind of took away from the popularity of chess and he was you know he, he makes the point that it's not a perfect analogy for surfing but he wonders whether wave pools might do the same thing for surfing uh, which kind of leads him on to his second point which is also interesting which is that the sweet can't be as sweet without the sour and he talks about how surfing is such a difficult sport even if you have good waves all the time and the fact that so often you don't have good conditions or you know, you've got to deal with crowds or getting to the ocean, make it all the harder. And as a result of how much you have to put into it to really reap the rewards, that makes that makes it so much more enjoyable. You know, mm -hmm. that means the sweets there. I kind of disagree with him slightly because you just can't predict how technologies will 
uh, impact society until you really put them in the hands of the user. Uh, you remember back in those old 60s uh, spy films when they had the face of the guy they were talking to on the watch? Yeah. And you just kind of assumed, yeah, when you can look at someone's face and speak to them, why would you ever use any other way of communicating? And but actually, still using text. people prefer to text, you know, because it's discreet and it's private and you can think about your answers, you know. Yeah, no one likes FaceTime. No, yeah, people don't really like using FaceTime. You're normally sitting on the toilet when it rings. (laughs) (laughs) It's always good when you're talking to someone and then they finish a sentence and then you just hear a toilet flush. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's so many confounding factors. You know, will more people enjoy surfing more because they're able to get better at it and therefore make better use of whatever conditions are available in the ocean? Mm -hmm. Well, he, he thinks that people will surf less because they'll look at the ocean and go, well, I'm not bothering surfing in that because I've already get good waves at, at you know the wave garden but it's an interesting thing to speculate about and um yeah I'll, we'll put his article up and people can read it and it's kind of been an ongoing subject on the show yeah. talking about wave gardens and mm-hmm. uh, it's always interesting to hear your thoughts listeners we also got uh, an email actually from Gary Hoover in response to the uh, piece you did last episode on algorithms for surfing uh, a little book recommendation uh, which is a checklist manifesto by Atul Gawende uh, it's available on Amazon. I'll put a little link on if any other listeners want to have a, a little listen to that. And you'll be glad to know, Rue, that it is available as an audiobook. I was looking up on Audible, but they don't have it on Audible yet. Uh, so, But yeah, I, I thought I might dig that out. It sounds like an interesting one. Yeah. The last email uh, I got about five minutes before we started recording. Um, and it is from Martin in the UK. And he says, uh, I thought I'd just drop you a quick line to let you know how much I enjoy the podcast. Open brackets. A lot. That's always a good way to start an email to the podcast, by the way, listeners. Um, I'm a 50-year-old UK surfer that used to surf a lot in my 20s in the northeast. uh, But last year, I moved down to Cornwall to get more time in the water for me and my family. He asks a couple of questions. But the one I thought that I would put to you guys, because I think it's probably something that a lot of people who are listening, it's probably a a situation that they're uh, dealing with a lot. So he says... An issue I'm interested in is how, as an intermediate surfer, to transition from angling my takeoff and going down the line to bottom turning. The latter seems to be the way to progress to a more progressive style, but again, my mental instinct is to track sideways and get away from the initial peak, uh, and then look for a building section uh, to float or hit. Are there any exercises that you would recommend to build up confidence in dropping down to the bottom of the wave and turning up the wave face, other than just doing it? Thanks again for the podcast and for the other resources on the website. Uh, Well, the first obvious thing to say about that is that when we're coaching, the nearer the start of the wave you are, the more you're risking and the more you tend to hang back a little bit. And sometimes hanging back in maneuvers actually prevents you from doing them. If you think about how good your bottom turn is when you're racing out in front of a white in front of a closed out wave and then you're turning the board back towards the foam just to dive off the board into the foam mm-hmm. you'll probably do one of the hardest bottom turns you've ever done just before you jump off and then if you watch the same person or just think about your own surfing when you do a bottom turn and you're approaching the lip you you're, you're way more timid you yeah. know which is interesting because it tells you it's not actually an ability or a skill thing it's a decision making thing yeah. so the way that you kind of hack that is by starting to do exactly the maneuvers you want to practice near the end of the wave, yeah. where you're you're going to put way less pressure on yourself to actually continue. You're way less precious with it. So you know when we're coaching, we always start by trying to get people to do those kind of like vertical to top maneuvers nearer the end of the wave, and then as they get better, you can start moving them nearer and nearer nearer the start. So when you're seeing that section build in front of you further down the line or at the closeout part at the end, yes, try and hit it. 
but try to start that trimming up and down the wave such that as you approach that section, you're able to put in a really deep bottom turn and then hit the section really going as close to 12 o'clock right at the end. Yeah, I would I would add to that that actually a really good way to do it is to go out on a terrible, closed out, horrible day and just take off, go all the way to the bottom and try to bottom turn and get the board to just go up the wave face as vertically as possible Yeah, absolutely. with the absolute expectation of falling off. But you know what? It was a closed out, crummy day of surf anyway. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like go out on a day when normally you'd go down to the beach and you're looking at it and going, ah, it's, it's just not worth the effort. Like there's waves out there. There's, you know, there's enough size and power that you can go and ride your, your, your regular board. But it's just too crumbly, stormy, closed out, whatever the, the issue with it is. And just paddle in, get your feet dropped straight down the bottom of the wave, put in the biggest bottom turn you can and try and get the board up to 12 o'clock and fall off um, and and the more that you do that the more comfortable you'll get with turning that aggressively and with coming up at the lip as quickly as you're going to um, to where you'll be able to start reacting to it yeah I think people develop their surfing the most actually when the surf isn't that good yeah. when you mm-hmm. stick people out in a long offshore wave the last thing they want to do is risk falling off you know as we've yeah. talked about on the show before yeah I, th- I think it's worth actually just rewinding very quickly as well and, and just pointing out for some of the listeners that maybe haven't done as much surfing that um, when you start surfing you obviously initially you paddle into the wave and you drop down to the bottom of the wave and that's about it and as you get a little bit better you start trying to sort of gently edge and and go across the wave face a little bit and one of the best ways to get more time on the open face is as you paddle into the wave you actually lean the board over and you set the rail in the wave face and do what we call an angled takeoff which sets you flying down the line and you start doing a lot more surfing going across the open wave face than uh, just ending up in the white water at the bottom of the wave, which is really, really cool. And it's a really addictive feeling. What you then start to think about doing is, is just gentle horizontal maneuvers and, you know, little gentle cutbacks and hopefully some little bounces off, off the white water at the end of the wave. But as you progress more towards what we call a level four surfer, where you're looking to try and surf aggressively top to bottom vertical maneuvers it, and it, i think maybe aggressive is slightly misleading but f- faster yeah. and with more power yeah yeah i think that's true um one of the things that you have to do is start going back to the bottom of the wave to give yourself enough room to turn and come straight up at the at the top of the wave we often use uh, when we're talking about the importance of bottom terms and coaching we often use the analogy of doing a u-turn in, with a car in a road yeah you know where if you're driving along in a car and you want to do a u-turn in one go and go all the way back around you have to pull over all the way to the right hand side of the road so that you've got enough space to do a full u-turn mm-hmm. in one arc whereas if you're near the center of the road and you start turning you're just going to run into the wall and that's what happens when surfers are angling their takeoff and then trying to hit the lip that they need to go all the way to the bottom of the wave to give themselves enough room to turn and point all the way back up at the lip so that's why it's important um i guess the final thing on that unless you guys want to add anything is just that you know break your surfs up into drills you know have your stopwatch and then be like okay for 20 minutes i'm just going to take off straight bottom turn go straight back up at the lip straight back up to 12 o'clock i'm Mm -hmm. not yet working on top turns i'm just working on getting my board up at 12 o'clock and we call it a 12 o'clock drill with something we do all the time and then the beeper goes okay that's over now i'm just gonna stand on my board cruise down the line do some trim turns maybe something at the end of the wave so give yourself specific goals and break your surf up 
Our last thing before we sign off is the what to watch section. Uh, there have been some really, really, really good edits come out in the last couple of weeks while we've been off air. Uh, the big one is going to be John John's 12, I think, oh, by far so and away, good. isn't it? I think Hurley have put up the money, but they've definitely taken on a lot of the production value from View for a Blue Moon. And they're following John John. The 12 is his contest jersey number. And they seem to, they're following him round. Again, the cinematography is beautiful. And of course, mm. it's John John surfing, which is always a treat. But I like the way that he talks quite candidly and and comes across quite vulnerable in yes. it as well. John John really putting it out there and going, oh, you know, I was really upset when this happened and I really wanted to yeah. really wanted to win this. And I don't really understand why things are going wrong. I, it, it's nice. It makes yeah. it way more engaging, you know? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a, a multi-part series over the course. I... I uh, what was the movie with Kelly in a seventh world title? Letting Go. Letting you Go. You know, that was such a great movie and it was such a great story the way they followed him through and then it was such a dramatic world title win. It was just a, like a brilliant movie of following someone mm-hmm. through the year. It's, it looks kind of dated now just because of the quality of the film, but it's still worth watching, listeners. It's yeah, awesome. Definitely. And since then, uh, you know, quite a few pro surfers who've been going for a world title have had a signature film made about them as a year's gone. And you can clearly see they've thought, I really hope they're going to win a title because then this whole movie makes sense. And then they haven't. Yeah. You know, and the whole movie feels a little bit like, oh, kind of at the end. Um, But, you know, they've obviously put so much into it that they make a movie out of it anyway. And yeah, I mean, it would just be so awesome if John John won and and this thing just turned into the, this series culminated in that. The John John Manifesto. Anyone else, uh, anyone else seen anything caught their eye? I really like the uh, the polar movie that just came out. The the they called it Floater. And yes. They edited yeah. out the surfboard. Yeah. It is it's super interesting. It's incredible to watch, isn't it? I have no idea yeah. how they've done it. You, you guys were musing yesterday whether they'd maybe, like, maybe created a green screen, yeah, a green surfboard, surfboard green screen, maybe. and surfed it. But have you seen it, Rick? No. So what 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 is oh, it? I, like you genuinely, it it won't make sense unless you see it. Yeah. Listeners, go on to the it's show by, notes. Um, Foster Huntingdon and um, have a little watch. This they they. So this is called floater. So it just looks like they're surfing, just like standing on their feet, kind of like when people are barefoot water skiing. I tell you what I really liked, uh, that Billabong movie about Dave Rastovich's quiver. Mm. I thought that was super interesting. Dave Rastovich is someone that I feel like would slightly annoy me if I sat down with him. I feel like he would very much (laughs) buy into all of the uh, Whole Foods nonsense that we were being disparaging about earlier in the show but it was cool watching him talk about some of his boards and I love the way that he, you know he really embraced riding different boards I like how he talks about when he was a kid he got stripped naked and tied up with a leggy to a lamppost because to some of the other guys board. didn't like him riding the kind of boards that he was riding um, and there's there's tons of footage that they he, he talks through the boards and he gives cool little anecdotes about how they were made like one of them was scooped out they, they scooped the foam out of a knee paddleboard and then they thought oh we could make a surfboard out of that because it kind of got some rocker in it already and they they kind of glassed it and then it will show some footage of him riding it i I think that's uh, i think that's really cool i love that he brings that to surfing so i liked the keeper sarah video oh of namibia Namibia. yeah yeah yeah. it was i mean we've seen obviously is it skeleton bay yeah we assume it is um we've seen that wave you know that wave doesn't seem to change it's just it's like kelly's wave yeah. Um, but I, what I did notice about that video is that it looked crowded. Yes. <laughs> there was a lot of Land Rovers on the beach there. A lot, lot of Land. I don't think it's a secret spot anymore. No. Is it? No. <laughs> um, I, actually, on the subject of Kelly's Wave, did you guys see the amazing uh, mashup that someone's done of the promo video for Kelly's Wave Pool? 
with the original soundtrack from Endless Summer 1. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Which, and it, the, I, I don't know if they've tweaked the timing, but it works so good. And it's the, it's the soundtrack from when they get to Cape St. Francis for the first time and they're just surfing these perfect reeling waves. And the, the Bruce Brown's commentary just matches the, the wave pool footage so well. It's brilliant. Final one, just to, to, to sign off. I'm sure that this will have appeared in a lot of your social media feeds, listeners, but Samsung have done it again and produced a really, really cool advert for their sponsorship of the WSL. Yeah, they, I think uh, Samsung, uh, we always like to give them a bit of a bashing on the podcast, but they do do these adverts brilliantly. Really good job. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, the, the what was it, Every Day is Day One? Was yeah, the I love one that, that one. they did last year was which was incredible, and and this one, I um, wish we'd I wish we'd made that film, yeah. you know I feel like that yeah I just well I, and I, I think this one is the same you know it's it's, it's beautiful it just it's beautifully shot it's storytelling at its best you know it's it's two minutes long there, it, there, there was there was one moment in it where they went where, what was it he said you might not have surfed before but then the snail didn't surf I know what you're thinking snails don't surf but neither did you once. And I was like, well, what point is he trying to make? <laughs> is the snail going to surf? What? It should have finished with the snail <laughs> the just snail. ripping a big backside 360. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like the, the narration, it slightly like started tripping over itself a little bit. But yeah, and I really liked it. I tell you what I liked was that the boy who, sh- I was reading this on the WSL blog actually, but the mm. boy who, st- who starred in it, I can't remember his name, but they, they found him as part of a surf club and he was a really nice kid, not at all shy and really smiley. And they were just like, do you want to be in this advert? Which is just so cool. But, you know, he, he really does live that life that he's portrayed as having. And, That's cool. Which is, so it's very genuine. But then ironically, when they were shooting the film, it, according to the WSL blog, he had like this whole team of guys around him who were like doing his hair and ironing his clothes and everything. Okay, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, but that is all we have time for. So from myself, it's goodbye. See you guys later. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com. Thank you.